Today's Box Not Included is a very special episode, as Jade and Hamish discuss the importance of talking about the issues of the day in an otherwise popular and harmless television show. This episode features discussion that some listeners may find enjoyable. Hello and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, I forgot to come up with a title for this episode, Steel. And I'm Jade. Baby, don't make me spell it out for you, Rose. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot. Uh, it's fine. Well, you know, you've had more pressing things on your mind, Hamish, because today we are talking very special episodes. Uh, a term coined by advertisers and also it's still sort of used as sort of the trope name for usually American family sitcoms in which the usual light and tone, light and tone, light tone <laughs> and laugh track would be sort of downplayed in favour of the show tackling a, a controversial or important or topical subject. However, we're using it to talk about when other shows have impacted us with their handling of these topics, both in good ways and uh, not so good ways but uh, uh should we catch up and geek out first yes absolutely what have you been catching up and geeking up about okay um i want to talk about the shape of water because uh-huh. i finally saw it and i had many a uh, feel um i wouldn't say it was my favorite Guillermo del toro movie it's it's not shunted pacific rim from its death grip on my heart hmm. what could um, but seriously, it was uh, a beautiful movie, which I kind of come to expect from Gilmo. And it was beautifully acted. The story was wonderful. The script was lovely. I can see why it's nominated for 13 Oscars, even if the Oscars are a crock of shit, as we're seeing with some of the interviews that are coming out with Academy voters. But that's another conversation for another day. Um but I adore maybe, it. Maybe we can do an Oscars episode, actually. Oh, we could do an Oscars episode. Mm. Um, they are this Sunday, but we can talk about award shows in general because I know they're, they, mm. cr- they create emotions. Wait, when we say this Sunday, is in the day after we record, but the day before this episode goes out? Yes, a timey-wimey Sunday that exists. Uh, the nebulous Sunday. The <laughs> nebulous Sunday. Um, um, but, but yeah, it... Um, to get, to get back to, to uh, The Shape of Water, I was genuinely sort of taken away in places like it felt magical. Um, and it, it's, it's, it was really good to finally see that having seen all these conversations sort of online, Gilmo talking about why monsters are important to him, um, where this sort of narrative came from. And it sort of taps into something that I think is quite common for a lot of folks. Uh, that, um, especially like when you start getting into queer discourse and stuff, but you, um, there are a couple of things you mentioned about sort of monster boyfriends and and stuff oh, like that. Um, Lindsay Ellis uh, uploaded a video today. Oh, about it. Um, Ooh, I'll have called to watch my, that. My monster boyfriend, which tracks the history of it, of uh, essentially the image of the woman in the arms of a creature. Oh right. Um, which has some quite interesting slash problematic ding, ding in the jar 
uh, origins, but how it's now being subverted in really nice ways. Mm. Um, I felt the same where, where I didn't, I don't think the shape of water is, I don't yet think it's del Toro's like masterpiece. It's really weird. I find, I agree. I feel Guillermo del Toro, I don't know what it is, but I would much rather like sit and listen to him talk about his films for hours and then maybe watch them sometimes. I think um, I th- there's something about Gilmo, like his enthusiasm and his heart. And there's just, yeah, he, his, I he wish just, his films felt more like talking to him or him in an interview. <laughs> and to be fair, like his films are often very dark and things like that. And it would, it would, wouldn't quite mesh. Like the Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth, these are not sort of <laughs> joyful, exuberant conversation kind of movies. But mm. even with that, there there is a playfulness and a a quality to the Shape of Water that's so very in tune with Gilmo in interviews. Like I love well, the way that man uses color and the way he and his directors of photography work with color. Like uh, where. Uh, um, Eliza starts having elements of red introduced into her costume. Mm. Oh, it's just... Like, what What I think, though, is, like, a lot of his... Um, I'm going to say English-language films because mm-hmm. it's much more noticeable to me then. I've Often the dialogue feels kind of odd, and um, characters sometimes feel maybe two-dimensional. But what, what I'm saying is... It's because they all seem to exist in this strange fairy tale world that doesn't like logic shouldn't be applied to. Um, I think I know exactly. I think I know what you mean. Yeah. Like one of my, I, I don't want to say criticisms because it's not, but like thoughts about the shape of water mm. is. Um, I felt like that it just needed one more scene between the the hero characters describing the creature as being a wild animal that doesn't know what he's doing to the boinking mm. like but the thing is that's because it's a fairy tale and i'm not trying to say oh it's you know awful that they don't it, it's not clear that the mm. it's not that clear the creature knows what's going on sure. <laughs> um but that's because it's not it, it, you know it would it would ruin the movie mm. also if it started becoming like really about that yeah agreed um it made a lot of good choices in terms of leading you up to think it's going to conform to certain tropes mm-hmm. and then not uh, and i i have to like and i mean i know that's sort of the point of the movie people i've seen some a part of the back which is like can we can we please stop referring to it as the fish fucking movie when gilmo's actually done something really interesting I said okay mm. but also referring to it as the fish fucking movie or grinding nemo is still kind of funny <laughs> that hasn't stopped being funny <laughs> grinding for me. nemo i know but um i think it is wonderful for cis het white patriarchy being the baddie and our heroes are a disabled woman a black woman a gay man um a man in sort of exile from himself and Mm. the creature himself like it's about outsiders being the hero and coming together and that's that's my jam like they're all characters that would be demonized so much in a movie actually from the 50s Mm -hmm. um i i mean to mentioned the theme of our podcast i was really surprised and excited to see um a gay character mm. who's giles was so wonderful 
Yeah, like it shows how simple you need you can make representation. So mm. there's like a subplot of him um trying to ask a guy out, but you wouldn't even need that to have the character be gay and it be uh satisfying mm. as representation. Yeah, Giles has this wonderful line which I thought was a really sweet thing, which is um I was either born too early or too late. Hmm. And I like, I mean, the moment where he and Eliza are sat on the couch together, like doing the choreography from the movie together. Hmm. And it's just like, oh, that's so my heart. But there's, but we don't know everything about Giles. We know that he was let go of his job, previous jobs, just like, and maybe it was due to the sexuality. Seems more likely it was possibly a drinking problem, but he felt like this wonderful, fully realized person. Yeah. And, his sexuality was a part of that about why he was so you don't often see incidental gay characters in period Mm. stuff that's true yeah usually it's about their struggle whereas it's something he's dealing with but we also Mm got to save the fish guy so like it's not the focus and i i don't know i was i was really appreciative of it and I do appreciate, Gilmore might not know this, and this is a very teensy tiny spoiler for The Shape of Water, but I do appreciate a little uh, nod to the gays can't drive. Uh, <laughs> stereotype <laughs> that really made me laugh. Uh, oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> uh, but what, 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 what have you been geeking out over? I, I know you saw, I know we both saw Shape of Water, so. Well, um, I mentioned a few episodes ago that I was watching a Korean drama called Oh My Ghost, mm-hmm. um, which I think I described as being very silly and like it was funny, but we put it on and very tropey. I saw your um, Twitter. I, <laughs> yeah, okay? I just I just finished it and oh my god, I could not stop crying. I was like exhausted from the tears coming out of my face that I had to like change my breathing a lot. Um, oh, buddy. And like, it's really interesting because the, the film I think I have cried at the most is another Korean film called The Tower, which is a remake of The Towering Inferno. Um, there's something, and like, I, I've, I think I added up all the Korean like media I have watched and I've loved it all. And there's something that I find in all of it, a real dedication to making the viewer love the characters in a way that's different, I feel, to the way it's done in, um, Western media, yeah. Um, for example, in the Towering Inferno, you like you know what's going to happen, so it decides to spend like the half, first half hour of the film making you absolutely adore every single character, not just the main ones, but like it takes time for you to get invested in about thirty characters. Oh wow! And so when when like this when the tower goes on fire, it's like actually harrowing, and you're like. Every single character on screen you want to survive. Um, yeah. But yeah, Oh My Ghost is really great. It's, like, I watched it with Justin and I think it's going to be a show that we might come back to every mm-hmm. so often. Um, and also because it's our first kind of like romantic K-drama, yeah. we're a bit scared of watching another one because we feel like we might have watched one of the best ones. <laughs> um, we're just going through Netflix and looking at the descriptions and being very judgy at the moment. But um, Fair. Yeah. The other, um, actually, briefly, briefly, there's a character in the show who we think is queer coded, but we wanted research into how characters in Korean media are queer coded. Sure. 
um, because it he's coded in a way that's very different to how you would do it in um, our media. And so that's something I'm going to research. Uh, but something else with a lot of noisy coding. <laughs> that's an interesting way of phrasing it. I dig it. Um, is Janelle Monáe's new uh, songs, especially Make Me Feel. So, as li- regular listeners of the podcast will know, uh, Hamish's very strong love and adoration uh, for Janelle Monáe, and rightly so. Um, I'm sort of more of a casual fan. Like, I've heard some of her music, I've enjoyed it, I find a lot of the stuff she does interesting, but... Make Me Feel is a real sort of ode to Prince. I think that's not mm. a stretch to say, like in terms of its sound and its aesthetics, but it is the most bisexual extravaganza of <laughs> gorgeous visuals and amazing music. And yeah, it was what I used uh, for my title for the episode. Um, yeah, I, I was going to look for a lyric and then blanked. Yeah. But uh, it's it's a really great song. It's a great video uh, starring the awesome and beloved by Box Not Included, Tessa Thompson. And a lot of the lyric, li- lyrics seems to be like Janelle addressing a lot of the questions she tends to get about her sexuality. Yeah. So, I yes, I am a big fan of hers. She's my... Uh, queen? I th- she's my queen. On Tumblr, I tag her my queen, but... I do think a lot of people have like their one artist who they will always try and go and see, mm-hmm. um, or they will, uh, yeah. So I, I've seen her three times, and she's been in a couple of films recently, a couple of Oscar-nominated films, and doing a lot more acting. And I started worrying that maybe music was something, uh, not that she wasn't into her anymore, but like she just wouldn't have time for. Um, but no, she's dropping a new album in April called Dirty Computer. And she'd released two music videos on the same day for it. Um, and I've heard that Prince did write a lot on Dirty Computer. Because oh. he's kind of, in some ways, her mentor. And he featured on her last album as well. Oh, brilliant. Um, so I think this was kind of like her tribute to him. Mm-hmm. Um but it doesn't feel like a parody or anything. No, no, it's just no, no, like no, 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 the vibe is, it, his soul is in it. Yeah. Um, and also just in terms of Janelle Monet, like her last few albums, she's had a very consistent style and look. It's all been concept albums based on her fictional metropolis, like mm-hmm. story she's telling. And while this has nods to it, it feels like her breaking out and, making kind of an album for herself rather than her OC. Sure. Um, And I've seen just, it's really heartwarming seeing how much people are like digging it and talking about her. Mm -hmm. Um, She's like, I do not like saying anything like, liked her before is cool, but it, when it's nice that before I felt like I was sharing her videos around to try and spread some word. Yeah. And now like people are, showing me the videos and saying, have you seen this? This is amazing. And it's actually really nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, she definitely deserves it. Sure. I also, there is some choice looks consistently throughout that video. I would like to have, none of it would fit me, but I kind of want to go, I would like this for my wardrobe and this for my wardrobe. And oh, I want two of those. But i got to give a special shout out to those see-through jeans with the embroidered <laughs> roses on. And I'm just looking at them going, oh, those are amazing. 
Yeah, I had to draw them. I saw, I saw. It's very um, good. It also has the bisexual lighting. It, yeah, thank. Yeah, it's very good. This, I mean, it's such a good. It's like the bisexual flag really did win out mm. on just like genuinely aesthetically pleasing. That that is it. Cyan, magenta, purple. In between, yeah. it's just it's very good. It's but, um, very good. Yeah, I think Janelle's, it, it's tough because Janelle Monáe has been asked repeatedly about her sexuality and she does avoid the topic. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why. I don't know, like, that's not our question to ask. I, I always no. like celebrities to be out and things, but um, I think this is a fun way to kind of tease people because I think just genuinely she doesn't really know mm. or it doesn't really matter to her yeah um and it's not it's not just her sexuality a lot of people have been speculating if she's in a relationship with tessa thompson Mm -hmm. so having the first like line of her new album a new song to be um don't let me uh spell it out for you yeah the ways that i feel about you Mm -hmm. um to tessa thompson is just like a really funny yeah like fuck you but uh, before we get into the uh, our sort of topic for the episode, I just um, you've mentioned on the podcast uh, Lena Waithe before. Uh, one yes, of, uh, writer, actor uh, who's on um, involved with the Master of None. But uh, I, I read an article this morning. Um, she was at the uh, Essence, um, Essence Black Women in Hollywood Awards luncheon Mm -hmm. and she was just sort of like talking about um how it's sort of time for uh women particularly uh black women and women of color to sort of feel like they can come out and it was just sort of a real call to arms and she Mm. cited um the wizard of oz um (laughs) when dorothy comes lands in and in the munchkin munchkin land and glinda's like after dorothy arrives and kills the witch of the east and glinda is to the munchkins it's okay you can come out now don't be afraid Mm. and yeah that was just sort of a she seems cool i wouldn't mind hanging out with her yeah yeah. she says um they have to become beacons for a younger generation and reference that moment in the wizard of oz she said Hmm. um it's interesting the things you hear as a kid take on a whole new meaning as an adult and those words still ring in her ears so Yeah, and she said, uh, this is amazing. I love this. I'm going to read this out before we get in. Uh, so I ask of I ask those of you that are still hiding to come out. Come out wherever you are. Please don't be afraid. And I hope that you know that I'm here to hold your hand whenever you decide to jump into this wonderful pool of people who refuse to be hidden. The water is warm. And I was just like... Uh, I think we, we are going to mention briefly Master of Man later, but I, it's one of those... Um, things where I, I don't like the work that good people have put into things being uh diminished by the actions of other people yeah um and like her the episodes that she wrote of mm-hmm. master of none are just so beautiful yeah but <laughs> i can't wait to see what else she does mm. but um yeah well hamish and i are like the whitest of white folk um we do like part of why i was so keen to do this podcast in the first place is because being visibly out and talking about stuff from this this perspective of ours, I just I want to show that it's okay. And if I can do that little bit and talk publicly about being queer and about being trans and non-binary, and 
showing that, yeah, you can have that part of yourself on show and be gobby on the internet. And that's, yeah, like, I mean, that's we, like, we, yeah, I mean, sh- getting us to shut up is kind of the trick. <laughs> we had people come up to a, at a convention and saying that we were like, uh, like a lifeline. Yeah. Like, you know, people that grow up in places or are stuck in places where they can't be themselves and we're like a people they can in some yeah. way talk to. Um, uh, I, I, sorry, I, this is going to, this is coming a bit of a long sort of opening catch up geek out, but this has um, become our own very special episode. So it feels apt. It's good. It's very good. Um, but I'll quickly say a friend of mine who I met through, uh, tabletop games has started listening to box nine included. Um, and he's straight. Mm-hmm. And we have directly inspired him to think differently about how he represents queer people in his games. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm going to mention a game that I'm in with him uh, during the tea break. But he's just like, yeah, no, I listened to your episode on rom- on romance and I was really inspired by that and I wanted to sort of reflect mm. some of that. And I was just like, oh. So um, I'll, 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 name, I'll name him because he'll listen. So shout out to Tom um, for listening and taking what we say on board and trying because we don't, ju- as, as much as we talk about this is like a, a show about media from a queer perspective, we don't, we want to talk to straight people as well and cis people as well. Just like we hope that you might, people might learn something from our rabbiting on. We've mentioned before how representation is just as important for the people it's not representing mm-hmm. to have points of reference. And so, yeah, we, I feel the same way about the show where sometimes we may go on a like end all straights rant, yeah. but we don't, that's not the ideal end scenario. We want to change hearts and minds. Yeah. I suppose it's the difference between straight people and the straights, isn't it? I, yeah. I, 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 I saw that as a thing earlier, but, uh, Let's let seeing, yeah let's 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 yeah seeing as we have gone very special episode with our uh, intro let's go on to the topic of the day let um uh we'll explain later why we decided this episode mm-hmm. now um part of it was inspired that a few episodes ago we had a discussion about an episode of a show um which ended up being ill timed when we released it um. But, uh, so very special episodes come from American sitcoms and sites, as we said. Um, they, I watched a YouTube video of like the 50 best, very special episodes. And the topics range from homophobia and alcoholism, gambling, drugs, racism, abuse, all kinds of things. Um, typical in shows from Full House and Family Ties to uh, Hannah Montana and Dinosaurs. Ah, oh, Dinosaurs. I saw a bit of an episode of Dinosaurs about steroids. That's a deep cut. That's a deep yeah. cut. <laughs> um, but uh, other media has also done it. Mm-hmm. Um, superhero comics have a history of it. Uh, you could have a case for Fury Road being a very special episode in the context of the rest of the Mad Max series, maybe. <laughs> um and things like Christopher Reeve only agreed to do Superman 4 if it had strong environmental themes. Um, the film is a hot mess because of it. But uh, I think today we are exclusively talking about TV shows. And I think one of the defining things of a very special episode is the tonal shift you feel. Yes. Um, There's that that marked difference. Um 
like sometimes even like the way the cameras move changes but uh yeah like the laugh track disappears for a while the music gets a bit serious yeah even in shows that aren't sitcoms you i think a lot of shows can tackle stuff but it's when like you get a real sense for show is taking time away from its point or whatever to it's u- address it, a topic. It's usual, for, it's usual vibe, it's usual kind of things it tackles. Yeah, it's using its platform for a, let's take a moment just to think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sometimes it's very obvious, like I think about He-Man's, like, so what did we learn today? Um, other times you just, a conversation starts happening in a show about something that really hits close to home. Yeah. Um, there's a sort of a typical format mm-hmm. of the sitcom one where family member becomes involved in something, different perspectives are brought up, they don't listen and go off the deep end, and voila, they've learned their lesson. Um, at the same time, usually the parents get a second, a, a different lesson of, well, we shouldn't have reacted so strongly because that's why we let them go off the deep end and we should all understand each other. It's all about communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, so let's talk about some examples we can think of that we've liked, mm. um, or maybe not, but <laughs> things that we we instantly spring to mind. Um, sure. Uh, one day at a time. Uh, we we were raving about one day at a time um, in our sort of big in a couple of episodes ago. We were talking about it. Uh, it's uh, doing great work in terms of representation. Uh, one of our listeners. Uh, at K.R. Fabian uh, cited it as well. It's uh, as her favourite example of a sitcom that tackles all manner of serious and controversial issues without feeling like it's shifting gears. Uh, it's a sweet, gentle family sitcom that naturally seg- uh, segues. I can never read that word. Segways? I always think that segues should be a longer word than that, but I'm guessing that's what it says. <laughs> uh, from dating to gun control to emojis to PTSD. And yeah, I do feel like one day at times a show that sort of you do, although there is that slight tonal shift, it never feels like a... And now we're going to talk about drugs. You don't have that jarring switch. I think because it's, it's sort of built into the show, like every episode's kind of a very special episode. Mm. And um, it's become part of the format of the show that, like, at the end of the second act, everything goes a bit quiet and, like, what the episode's really about gets mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does it in a good way, and it's what it's it's what the show's about, really. Um, mm. And it because it's interesting watching a modern show. It took tackles things which are very very pressing. Yes. Um, like in the second series, they mention Trump and how it's affecting the way people treat, uh, you know, Latino Latin X people. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it, that's what's kind of makes it hit close to home. Because I think when I looked at that list of uh, old episodes, it's it's sometimes a little comical mm. now, the way they handle certain topics. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a very good example. And it's also just very sweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we don't need to mention how much we like One Day at a Time again on this no, show, no. I think. No, did, didn't it get renewed? It did get renewed. I don't. I don't know. I hope so. I hope so. If it hasn't officially been renewed yet, get out there and watch it, guys. Like, get the viewing. And also, it is an example that tackles LGBT stuff in a way that um, feels nice because it's not it. It does the coming, you know, the coming out episode and all that stuff. Mm. Um, But in ways, I think is uh, 
just different. Like, mm. there's not one coming out story. And um, I think part of that is because of its generational aspect that mm. you have three generations living together. So you always get different perspectives. Mm. But um, I think, like, One Day at a Time feels like a bit of an exception to the rule, almost, when it comes... Although, I do think, like, the set phenomena of the very special episode is something that maybe isn't as common anymore. Like, because I think, mm. like, maybe writing has, I don't think, gotten subtler. Or maybe it's just because things get folded in more. I'm not sure. I think get things have got subtler. I think comedy in general has become more cynical. Mm. One day at a time does feel like a massive throwback in lots of ways. Yes. Um and you wouldn't see like you wouldn't see that kind of discussion happening in a lot of co- like a lot of comedies nowadays. Mm. Um I think about how a lot of shows even parody it. Something like Always Sunny mm-hmm. is like a mockery of very special episodes because most episodes are about a big topic, but it's kind of showing all the wrong opinions to have of it. And they learn nothing. Yes. Often they, often like... <laughs> or they learn, very... the, or they take the weirdest possible lesson from it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's gone on for a long time now that they've come back to certain topics. Like there's a very early gun control episode and then they did a sequel to it mm. to show how like attitudes have changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got reminded of... Uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch did a parody of um, very special episodes about Sabrina's pancake addiction. <laughs> if you've ever seen um, gifts of Sabrina surrounded by people offering her pancakes, mm. I always see it on Pancake Day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where it's from, and uh, I think it's I think that's funny because I think kids do like cotton on like mm. oh it's one of these episodes. Um, kids don't take well to being patronised. Uh, any more uh, yeah so patronized patronized is something else patronized any better than adults do like we know when people are like now i need you to pay attention or this mm. is important as like kids have got a really strong bullshit detector <laughs> and i think a lot of the problem with very special episodes is so often they don't feel very genuine yeah there's there's such a departure or they can feel like such a departure from what the show's normally about she's like why are you doing this like what are you trying to get out of this this doesn't feel like the characters right now this is just you trying to tell this particular kind of story and i think that's why they're so rife for parody and things like that like i've never i was never a saved by the bell watcher um slightly before my time i believe but mm. everybody i think knows that moment of elizabeth berkeley who's taken like too much i don't know caffeine or something like that and just like yeah singing like i'm so excited and just singing <laughs> and everybody knows that and yeah. it's just like i barely know the content and she's taken a lot of something to help her study i don't yeah know. i think it's caffeine pills yeah. it, there's a lot of um Oh, on that list of episodes, there was one of like really little kids, like six or seven year olds, mm. and one of them is saying, um, "You know what's fun? Let's do cocaine." And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it does. I think they can affect you more if they are more subtle. Like, yes. but at the start of this episode, we parodied the tonight is a very special episode because that's what they used to do. Yeah, and like. I think something like One Day at a Time is slightly better, mm. even though it does it does 
ram a message a little bit down your throat. It's just that you don't know where this episode is going and then it's kind of like a shock. Mm. Whereas in the, you know, in the traditional sense of a very special episode, they'd literally say, today's episode tackles drugs. Mm. What to do when... And you like, it feels very much like a... A PSA, like... The, yeah. Like a learning tool. And I mean, yeah. it, it's not to say that things can't be used to do that. Um, in children's media, you see it sometimes like uh, Sesame Street uh, has tackled death, like uh, when the actor who played uh, Mr. Hooper died. Yeah, they uh, they did an episode um, where Big Bird is coming to terms with that. Mm. Um, there's there's definitely a rule in like, especially preschool shows where you never say the D word. Mm-hmm. And they fully did and explained death. And I think that's much healthier than ignoring it. Mm. it it's, a, it's a slight off I think because this was the Muppet show or definitely some form of Jim Henson production. They did some great fourth wall breaking, but like the cast uh, gets a letter and it's somebody talking and just the end is, a, I'm sorry to hear that your friend Jim died. And everyone's like, mm. Jim died? And then there's something else about the big puppets. And there's this great moment where they look down and just like, whoa, there's all these people down there. And if we run this way, they run this way. And it's just, hmm. and like Kermit comes in at the end of the episode and it's just like, <coughs> but I feel like so often like children's media can do it when their hand is maybe forced. A lot of the time they really do sort of step up. Hmm. But then Sesame there's- Street has always been, I think, quite good at that. Yeah, there's a there's an episode of Captain Planet, which I did watch a while ago to research for something else called A Formula for Hate. Um, and Captain Planet is, you know... He's a hero, Cap- going to take pollution He's- down to zero. <laughs> like, the whole show is a very special episode about pollution. Mm. But the one episode which isn't is they did an episode about HIV, um where a kid voiced by Neil Patrick Harris, and I think his mum's voiced by Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, man. Um, and she was very instrumental in, like, we should definitely do this episode. Um, it's dated and uh, slightly cringe, but the fact that it just does an episode about something that was happening at the time mm. and without it just being a big metaphor, which a lot of grown-up shows didn't have the guts to do. Yeah. Um you know, the whole HIV metaphor is such a big thing in sci-fi. Yes. Um, I respect it, even though, you know, Captain Planet is a mulleted blue demigod. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The episode's kind of, I'm sure it created a lot of conversation. And I think that's the main point, Mm. especially in kids' shows, to start a dialogue with parents about something. Mm. Uh, another bit of kids media that again like one day at a time sort of maybe weaves sort of stuff into the body of the episodes but also does a really good job of highlighting stuff uh, is Steven Universe we talk look we, we we talk about Steven Universe a lot there's a reason um but fusion um as a metaphor for relationships um we've they've done some really good conversations about what it means to be sort of truthful and about why you shouldn't hide things and how certain people are stronger together and that's okay. But also you shouldn't, how forcing somebody to fuse or fusing via deception is a bad thing. Yeah. Like they, I think about, they did a five episode arc about Pearl um, Mm -hmm. fusing with Garnet against, well, not against her will, but tricking her into thinking it was necessary. Yeah, Um, They've done a, 
they did an episode where on a set on a boat where um, Lapis and Jasper talked about their whole toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, fusion is this kind of amorphous. It can be used like. People don't like it when say when people say fusion means sex because it doesn't always mean that. No. It's just the embodiment of any type of relationship, mm-hmm. be it uh, platonic or romantic or mm. um, anything like that. Um, another, uh, I think I maybe it's later, but someone mentioned um, an episode called Mindful Education, mm. um, which I know affects a lot of people of dealing with. Uh, sort of just finding your inner peace and dealing with um, panic attacks and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think Steven Universe is one of those shows where, yeah, like you said, it's folded into the whole concept of the show. Mm. It doesn't feel like they um, take time out to talk about one subject. I I mean, I'm saying this to lead on to OKKO, which is a new show from Cartoon Network made by... Um, Ian Jones Quarterly, who worked a lot on Steven Universe. All oh, right. Um, uh, Amar on the Facebook group said, uh, "This is extremely recent, but apparently the most recent OKKO OK pretty much dealt with gun control, and from some of the screenshots I've seen, does not hold back." Uh, I watched the episode, mm-hmm. um, and what's interesting is that everyone said that a lot of people were complaining too soon about this episode, forgetting that it was written and animated about two years ago. Um, it was in mm. response to uh i think vegas the shooting maybe it, um it's a very depressing thing where just like okay so which shoot mass shooting was that yeah so they did an episode where um the sh- they all become obsessed with this like remote control that can turn people into skeletons if you are they're still living but if you get annoyed with them um and it was sort of about it wasn't just about like gun violence, which I think a lot of um, shows that tackle that subject do. Mm. It was about the commercial, like the commercial aspect of guns, yes. which as British people we don't always ex- like understand. But like the idea that you can just pick up a gun at a supermarket mm. um, is very distressing, I think, to us. And I think a show actually dealing with that aspect is really interesting, rather than mm. the like violent aspect yeah um but i just think i think some people think kids shows like i saw videos from the episode on tumblr saying who said this was a kids show and i'm like Uh. no like it's so much more important to have these kind of show these kind of episodes for kids Mm -hmm. i think that's why like i know he said kids don't like do feel patronized but you can do it well, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's like introducing concepts to kids as well. Like, like my my niece who's eight understands things like not everyone identifies as a man or a woman, mm. and knows that about. Uh, although, like all the relationships, she tends to see to, uh, visibly sort of between men and women. For the most part, like she understands about sometimes people uh, with people of the same or similar genders. And she's learned that she gets to see that through the TV shows that she watches, like things Mm. like Steven Universe and uh, Legend of Korra. Yeah. So 
I, it does bother me to, oh, you shouldn't put that in a kid's show or, oh, it's not, cl- clearly it's not for kids. Like, I, I'm out of touch with Adventure Time, but I know that for a fact that they've tackled a lot of issues. Mm. Which is what people say, oh, it's all, all these deep levels. Like, yeah, okay, maybe they do make that for, so varying people can pull different things. But that doesn't mean at their heart that they're not thinking about their ch- children audience. Yeah, it's it's an extension of the don't say the D word on mm. kids shows things that you're perpetuating if you have that opinion about kids media. Mm. Like, um, I think nothing is off limits. I remember actually once at a Nine Worlds panel, mm. um, uh, a friend of mine, Quen, said that on a panel, um, uh, like, I'm going to talk about consent in kids books. And there was like a ripple of laughter as if that's something that's off limits to talk about kids with. And it it really sticks in my mind of how people have this real disconnect with the kinds of things you can talk to children about. Yeah. Um, A show that has children in its audience, but isn't strictly aimed at them is Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. Um, Which when I think of, it's, you know, used metaphors a lot like any sci-fi show does, but an episode I think of as a very special episode is Vincent and the Doctor. Yes, agreed. Um, where the Doctor meets Vincent van Gogh. And instead of... Uh, I mean, whenever the Doctor meets historical celebrity people, uh, they are a some in some ways a cartoonish version of themselves. The kind of one you want to remember. Um, but they, they didn't do that with, with Vincent van Gogh. Like there was, he got to be funny and things like that. Um, it was obviously a heightened reality, but they didn't shy away from like his depression and, and what mm. what that meant. Um, and it was uh, like the the episode does feature a monster that's a kind of stand-in for depression, but it's not. It when they defeat the monster, it doesn't suddenly magically get rid of his depression. It's not the cause of it either. No, and the fact that um, they then get to take Vincent to an exhibit in the present day and he hears that wonderful speech by Bill Nye's character or possibly Bill Nye who can say <laughs> uh, talking about uh, like what Van Gogh's work means and you, you see Vincent just sort of crying and seeing his work being appreciated and then they sort of return him and then and uh, Amy's just like I can't wait to see what what more work does it no it didn't change and she's like well what was the point and the doctor has this great thing. It's just like we gave him a good day, and like if life can be on balance of more good things than bad, then that's wonderful. Yeah, he says he says um, life's a pile of good things and bad things, mm. and the good things, like the bad things, uh, don't. I'm getting it wrong, but he says the good things don't like soften the bad things, but the bad things don't spoil the good things or make them unimportant, mm-hmm. and. It was such a nice moment in a show where we were ma- we were kind of alluding to it in Shape of Water without spoilers, but mm. when you think a show is going in the direction of let's solve all of your problems, let's like cure you of all the issues in your life, and it doesn't, and it says that that's just how life is sometimes. It's really mm. important in a show like Doctor Who when the point of the show is he saves the day all the time. Though... As as much as Vincent and the Doctor is a fantastic episode, it's one of my favourites. Uh, Doctor Who does not always get it right. <laughs> uh, there is an episode from one of Capaldi's seasons called Kill the Moon. 
<laughs> people uh, often know it as moon egg episode mm-hmm. um it's yeah. bad well no the thing is it's actually a solid episode up until the last sort of five minutes and then it becomes crashingly clear oh this is what this is about Ooh. yeah the the um short story the moon is an egg it's gonna hatch it might destroy the earth but that's not guaranteed and the doctor says it's not my choice, it's yours, talking to Clara, a female astronaut and a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. He then leaves them to make the decision of whether to kill a unborn creature or let it live, even though it might cause people lots of harm. Subtle. Clara, yeah, Clara asks the Earth and they what they think. They unanimously vote to kill the creature. She then doesn't. And like, sure, it's kind of, it's an okay idea up until the point when they then start describing, well done, you made the right decision. Yeah. And it's part of this kind of really frustrating element of pro-choice media where like, Yes, you have a choice, but there's still a right choice. Yeah. And that really bothers me. Um, there's a way you could have done that episode well, but no. They didn't. It's kind of, they did not. It, no, it's it's actually written by the same guy who wrote the season afterwards um, Zygon episodes with the Doctor's kind of anti-war speech. Um, oh, so there's some issues maybe he's a little bit better at writing. Yeah, but even in that one, it's still clunky with yes. the whole like... yes. Summers, I think, kind of Ooh. metaphors. Ooh. That writes that writer really likes issues, and I think that's the thing. Like sometimes you, sometimes you shouldn't. Not everything needs to be a metaphor, and like yeah, that's the thing. Just like don't write issue about issues. Write stories. But also, that's like a white guy who chose to mm. write an issue about abortion, an issue about Islamophobia. Yeah, and it's like you can really tell. It's like a really clunky. Mm-hmm thing um there's uh, like another show i'm thinking of is buffy um yeah many a metaphor many 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 a metaphor metaphor. i mean Uh, that's part of their central concept for a lot was just like especially in the early seasons how like the monsters were sort of representative of teenage issues yes and again it does so many that some are good some are bad um Mm. uh henna's on the facebook group mentioned the body which um yeah. I think everyone agrees is like a good example, but like it's so unique and so oh, mm. tough. And that's the most I feel like that's a very special episode in that the entire sh- tone of sh- the show shifts. Yes. Um, there's another example. What do you, uh, do you have you thoughts on the episode Earshot? Um, uh, do you yeah. remember that one? I do. I, I remember it very vividly. Uh, Buffy gets bitten or poisoned by a demon and it allows her or temporarily gives her the ability to hear what people are thinking. And throughout the episode, um, or a part way through the episode, she starts uh, hearing this voice saying, I'm going to kill everyone here. And um, what, it, what it boils down to is she thought it was Jonathan who... Um, is um, a character that would like show up in again and again in Buffy and is a kind of a really kind of cool character in his own right, like 
Well, in some ways, let's not get into <laughs> Whedon's writing of certain types of people. But it's revealed like he uh, he uh, Buffy finds him in like in the clock tower kind of thing of of the school yeah. uh, with the gun. But he brought it up there to kill himself. He wasn't interested in hurting other people. It's revealed like I think it's the lunch lady who was putting rat poison in mm. the food was the one who wanted to kill everybody. But and this whole thing is and then like Buffy and Jonathan have a conversation about like being like suicidal. And it's interesting because like we come back to those sorts of themes with different characters later. But while the episode itself isn't subtle, it has a, a, the way it ends, for example, ends on a really comedic note. But the episode did tackle that matter and um, it aired with a PSA and a, a suicide helpline number. I read that Vincent and the Doctor actually did that as well. Um, I believe so, yeah. Which I didn't, didn't remember at the time. Um, there's a, like a, so that's interesting because it's a very real world. Like it's, nothing's being a metaphor for anything there. Um, it's literally, you know, a person with who's suicidal. It's not some magical demon storyline behind that. Yeah. Um, I think some people have annoyance with uh, Willow's drug magic arc. Um, yeah, there was not subtle there. No. So the previous season, magic had been used as a way of representing her love for Tara. Mm. Um, it was kind of... I love finding that part of herself and expressing that part of herself. Yes, and it was a good positive thing. And mm. then next season, they make it about drugs and in yeah. not a subtle way at all. She has, she has like a dealer. She goes mm-hmm. to like magic dens where they're all, you know, mm-hmm. it, it feels... There, there's an episode that ends with her saying to Buffy after she like crashes a car with Dawn in it while high on magic and she's literally just like crying to Buffy like I need help it's just like mm. and like mm. sure I just think for a lot of people it went on far too long and it ruined something that was like nice about the show like it it came at a time of things like Charmed and stuff like that where like magic was seen as very empowering yeah I mean um, I, I, I can see why they wanted to do like a quest for power is bad and magic for the sake of magic and things like that willow was doing with it you yeah. could have explored that without the heavy-handed drug metaphor quite mm-hmm. frankly um Ugh. but i think we are this is a long one we've we've had long episodes since we've come back um mm. so let's take a quick break before we dive a little deeper that's yeah i'm gonna stick the kettle on It's the very brief middle section of the show. Thank you yes, for listening. Yes, we haven't even got time for a sponsor. We are actually looking for uh, sponsors. Um, so if you are a small business or you have a Kickstarter or a webcomic or, or anything. A podca- or a podcast. Uh, yeah, anything you do, um, please get in touch with us at boxnotinclude at gmail.com. We can try and figure something out. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, everyone, to listening for listening. Yeah, um, we've got our thriving Facebook group, which we mentioned all the time uh, it's a great place to join uh, that's uh, box and included with Jaden hamish i believe is how you search for it uh, but what would be really cool we haven't asked in a while but if folks could like rate the podcast review subscribe if they haven't already and like share an episode with a friend i mean i appreciate a very special episode might not be the 
first <laughs> starting one. But it would be really cool if you could like share it with a friend and get them into the podcast too. I'm still pleased with our first episode, but you can definitely skip certain ones. I know we talk about some subjects that um, people aren't interested in or they haven't uh-huh. seen the thing we're talking about. So, um, yeah, yeah I I'm, I'm spread the word if you can. We'll be very well, appreciated. We are, we're about to hit our fifth. Next episode is going to be our 50th. So there's like 49 episodes. Like you, there's definitely some good ones in there that you could uh, sling at a friend. And, yeah. Uh, we have Give something planned for uh, we have something planned for our 50th episode, which I think you'll all enjoy. Um, yes. we, we are excited. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're letting ourselves delve into something we haven't let ourselves delve into too deep before. <laughs> It'll be a perfectly cromulent episode. Mm. Um, so, uh, is there anything you wish to plug? Uh, yes, I am part of a sort of tabletop roleplay collective, I guess you could call this, called Natural Ruckus. Um, and we're going to be sort of streaming things regularly on Twitch. Uh, you can find us on twitch.tv forward slash natural ruckus. And every two weeks, um, we'll be doing sort of a live stream of a D&D game. And so in between that, we're looking to maybe explore other tabletop systems, do like one slash two shots. But uh, if you go there now, you can see sort of the first part of our fantasy noir uh, mini campaign set in Eberron. And uh, I play a sort of bard slash club singer uh, (laughs) who's in some very deep trouble, such as the way of uh, certain kinds of characters in film noirs. I'm basically the homme fatale of the story. (laughs) But uh, we had our first session. That was really good fun. You can hear me do a bad Irish accent. If that's, <laughs> that's your thing. Uh, but yeah, come along and uh, check that out. What about you, um, what, well, you got? what you got? Episode 14 of the Poltercast. Uh, we're up to there. Um, I did the Enfield Haunting, which is a very famous uh, poltergeist story from, um, I believe, the 70s. Um, and that's really fun. We, we've made it fortnightly now so that we can spend more time researching and... Uh, we have a Facebook group as well where we're going to dump all of the evidence and the photos from the stories we tell. <laughs> um, we also have a uh, good news, everyone, the Futurama podcast, which uh, I described on the Facebook group to a uh, few yesterday as it's kind of a whenever we feel like it kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Um, a, it's not a weekly podcast. It's we, sort of like when we get the time to watch an episode, we'll do an episode. Yeah, I want to make box not included always our priority if we can meet up. Yes. So. Um, Sorry about that if you have been watching Futurama. uh, uh, Mm. Press ahead. Don't worry about us. Yeah. Um, We'll catch catch up. But uh, other than that... Let's get back in. Yes. Uh, So we said about sort of how very special episodes have changed slightly, how like shows are maybe handling it differently. But I don't know. There's some definite examples in the past that um and even the the not so recent past like for better or worse that have done this whole very special episode kind of vibe yeah um fate dreams uh, mentioned on twitter um the star trek generations episode outcast immediately springs to mind they tried but oh my goodness my so much face palm so much um and i thought this was interesting because star trek is a show that's uh a bit like doctor two doctor who but we didn't mention it the classic series um there's examples of very special episodes from both uh from the 60s from the sort of 80s and 90s and present day um so there's an original series star trek episode called let that be your last battlefield um 
which you might know from some of the imagery. It's the one where there's two warring races and one is white on left side and black on the right side. And one of them is black on the left side and white on the right side, um, right down the middle. Right. <laughs> um, and it's a little clunky and it's a bit dated, but um, that's why I said why I have very, very special episodes changed. Whereas what was n- the kind of discussion that happened back then might seem very like racism 101 now. Mm. Um, but the whole point of that episode was to basically explain how to anyone outside of those two races, that seems so ridiculous that they would be at war with each other because they look identical. Whereas to them, they look so completely different. Mm. Um now there's a yes, yeah, so there's a Star Trek uh, Next Generation episode that was mentioned called Outcast. Do you know about this one? Um, I couldn't remember it, so I looked it up and then got really angry really fast when I remembered <laughs> what one it was. Um, it's about the Enterprise contacting a humanoid race called the Janael or Janile. I can't quite read that. Uh, they're a race without gender, mm. and uh, there's revealed to be. Um, a member of, of of this race who does identify as female, and uh, she and uh, Riker sort of uh, embark on a, um, a romantic relationship, and it gets discovered. And then um, this this woman, uh, Soren, uh, is forced to undergo this therapy, which is a part of this society's um, beliefs, like a, a psychotactic therapy meant to remediate gender specificity and allow acceptance back into society. Mm. Like, like I can appreciate where they were coming from for that. Like Fate Dreams said, she's like, okay, you are trying to do something, but oh, oh, you you swung for the fences and smashed that baseball bat right back into your own face, didn't you? Mm. I'm sure it meant I'm sure it made certain people who'd never thought about gender think about it for a second. Mm-hmm. But um it's not a great example. And actually, um so Star Trek Discovery, there's a post show analysis show called uh After Track. All right. Um, which I only watched a couple of times where they talk about the episode and they have lots of guests on. Mm-hmm. Um and so Star Trek Discovery does have queer characters and they were interviewing Jonathan Frakes, who played Riker and also directed a bunch of Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Anthony Rapp, who um, plays uh, Paul Stamets. Stamets. Yes, he's a gay character in the show. And uh, the host brought up the outcast as an episode that tried to tackle things. Um, and Jonathan Frakes just looked so embarrassed and said like, oh, I hate that episode. Like I really wish we hadn't done it or we'd done it better. Um, and he talked about how it was his wish that the character be played by a male actor um, at the time. Oh, um, interesting. And they really pushed for that, but uh, the sh- the whoever, the powers that be, didn't let it happen. Sure. Um, and, you know, it's like, the thing which bothers me about Star Trek when it tries to do these things, especially about gender, is why are the, why in the future are the crew of the Enterprise shocked by a race without gender when mm-hmm. in the present day there are people without gender and you'd hope yeah. that in the far future that was you know, the mm-hmm. normal part of the crew. 
But, um, yeah, I mean, Star Trek, as we said, does try. Like, I know uh, we've mentioned it before, uh, Discovery uh, looks at sort of PTSD uh, as a result of sexual abuse, right? Yes. Um, it's slightly frustrating sometimes because it does a really good job of certain things and mm-hmm. then often has, like, the sci-fi explanation for stuff. Um, yeah. Which Discovery does do, but it did do... It had a discussion between... Um, the, the main character, Michael Burnham, and uh, a guy called Ash, where he was describing his PTSD from um, some of this abuse. And mm. just some of the dialogue felt very real and felt really like they had <sighs> talked to people yeah. about how they would describe it. Um, and that was a scene that felt very special episode in some ways because for yeah. a brief moment, it wasn't about space and wars and all that stuff. It was just about one human's experience. Mm. I mean, yeah, I, I mentioned earlier, it's just like, when we're talking about Doctor Who, that writer's just like, you shouldn't write issue, or from my perspective, I don't write issues, write stories. Um, yeah. But I mean, what about, like the whole premise of um, a very special episode or however they might have changed or shifted, um, are they a good idea? Like, what's the point? We've kind of sort of like said why certain things need to be tackled in kids' media. Mm. But like, is it better to to make the issues? Um, is it but rather than being like a big one ep- uh, one off episode where this is a thing that gets highlighted? Is it better like to do what sort of one day at a time does and have these little, little quiet moments like in every episode where it's not a big deal but it is a thing that the characters are going through? Um, you make it a natural part of the world. Yeah, I I, I think it should feel natural. Um, I think sometimes there are exceptions. We're going to mention Glee later, but they, when um, their lead actor died, um, they chose. Uh, don't know, you know, don't know if it's the right decision, but they chose to make that part of the story. Mm. Um, and so that was very much billed as a very special episode. And I think in those kinds of cases, it's fine where you know that outside forces have made them have to do this. But I think naturally in writing. Yeah. It should be uh, just part of the story. Yeah, because we yeah, because we talked earlier about there's that cringe factor that comes yeah. with very special episodes. We made it, I mentioned that Saved by the Bell bit that everybody <laughs> on the internet seems to know where they were trying so very earnestly to do mm. the thing. Um, and this is where we're going to mention the thing that sort of kicked off uh, our desire to do this episode, which is the Glee school shooting episode yeah now again i would like to i've i know i've apologized uh already on the twitter but again how because of poor timing on our part where that was recorded if anyone was upset uh by our tone in that when we mentioned the episode uh again we apologize that was certainly the nature of how we record, sometimes that happens. and um, But yeah, we obviously don't want any of our listeners to be upset by something we say. I also want to say that as British people, our view of school shootings is very different. Um, I, I don't enjoy the whole like, well, we don't have that kind of attitude some British people have. But um, I know that... I think when I watched the Glee school shooting episode for the first time, for me, I felt like, wow, why are they going there? That's so out of place. But I think I realise now that um, a show that runs for a number of years set in a high school inevitably probably should tackle this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my personal beef with the episode, mm-hmm. and like it does, it, it got a lot of praise for its acting and everything, and like I agree, it it does it, it feels real. Um, my issue is with how it resolves. Mm. Um, which I don't know if you remember, but I the, never saw the episode. So about 20 minutes of the episode takes place in the uh, rehearsal room of everyone just being quiet and hearing noises and things like that. And it's, you know, I'm sure it's incredibly uh, close to home if anyone's been through that. Mm. Um, all they all they hear is someone walking around and a gunshot. But what is revealed was that, um, I can't remember the name of the character, but she's... Uh, the girl with Down syndrome. Yeah. Um, who uh, uh, Sue sort of mm. takes on as her like assistant and. Yeah, her, her right hand gal. Yeah. Um, she brought a gun into school and shot it in her locker and then walked around the place nervously while everyone was hiding in the classroom, I think. And then because. Sue doesn't want her to get the blame for it. She says that she brought her gun into school and that it was her. And for a number of reasons, I find the idea of doing a school shooting episode and making it A, A, it's the person who did it were women, who Mm -hmm. statistically that's not very likely. B, a woman with... uh, disabilities and i just think for so many reasons it's like oh you didn't expect this kind of aspect of the ending felt that's really not clever that's not clever that's not interesting that's yeah mm. felt very very odd yeah and then um when these um this sort of comes to my next point um about when a, a show tackles something but then doesn't really follow through with it as yeah. well, in the same way that that sort of was, was a cop out, another way of sort of not following through is um sort of issue of one and done. Just like, okay, we're going to talk about this thing in this single episode, and then it will never come up again. Yeah, no and one, no one in that, no one in Glee suffers from the trauma of that episode. It seems. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I felt this particularly. Uh, sticks with me in the like grinds my gears and sticks (laughs) in my craw um is when it sort of happens to tackling bigotry and um and it sort of gets also sort of kind of tied into representation um an example um where maybe a show wants to tackle homophobia uh one of the characters meets a gay person who challenges their worldview um and we learn about character X's own prejudices. By the end of the episode, um, the character has has learned something. Um, and then we never see that person they met again. And yeah. this is not a Simpsons podcast, but um, <laughs> Homer's phobia, I think, is a, a really good example of that. While like, the Simpsons would come back or and before have these little tiny moments about gay characters. And as the show went on, again, 20 three seasons on they've got better but the episode where where homer meets john Mm. voiced by john walters um and it's i love that episode i think that episode's really fun in a lot of ways and it does a lot of tackling about 
of like sort of a bit of toxic masculinity and things and things like that. But we never yeah. we, we never see John again. Which is weird because he seems like a new friend for Marge and mm-hmm. um I guess in part of the way the Simpsons was scared to do anything similar to the whole Poochie idea or the yeah. Roy idea of like, hey, it's the Simpsons' best new best friend. He's going to be here all the time. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like, unlearning homophobia is not a like what? one day, one experience thing. Yeah. It's like a thing you have to keep working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get the feeling with a lot of these very special episodes, they think that all these topics can be solved so simply. Yeah. Um, and, and I, yeah, to carry on about that sort of point about homophobia, though, like very special episodes are not just about that. I mean, for us, uh, those are the kind of issues that we automatically are drawn to and, and latch onto. Uh, but, the, and this is the true of any marginalized group. Uh, if you're queer or trans or disabled or um, a person of color who's a, in the minority, we're not teaching points like we're people. We deserve mm. stories in our own rights, not just as a way of teaching the white, cishet, able-bodied, neurotypical people. Yeah, the, I mean, um, a couple of episodes ago I mentioned Queer, uh, Queer Eye mm-hmm. and how much I loved it. And interestingly, I'd only watched the first two episodes and okay. the, th- the third episode is one that I know a lot of people are saying to skip. Um, is that the one with the cop? Yeah, so not only do they have to make over a racist cop who, like, has a Make America Great Again cap, he has a, like, he has a, like, he has, like, a Trump Pence sign from, and stuff like that. Um, This episode feels a lot like it fell out of the Hillary timeline, because they kind of deal with that stuff as, or maybe it was filmed before Hmm. um, he won, because it feels very, like... Well, that's not a real problem, you you silly fool. Yeah. Um, and they do a very awkward scene of like comically recreating. Um, so oh. Oh, God. the 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 one black guy in the queer eye group is the dr- person driving, and they get pulled over by a cop, and they make oh, a whole no. kind of like joke out of that when it's like, oh, no. you're recreating too many people's final moments alive and it it tried and the the like i still love the show episode four instantly redeems it yeah well not redeems it it basically i just feel i do feel like that must have been filmed last summer or something just before the election because it just feels so like from a yeah. different time to where we are now. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, that's the thing when shows want to just dip their toe in a very big issue mm-hmm. without any real care for like, yeah, it just comes across as careless or disrespectful or at best naive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Queer Eye in general is a little naive in its premise in that yeah, big society and uh, like, Big society issues can be solved with a haircut, um, but hey, now with somebody that dyes their hair on the regular <laughs> as a way of tackling things, I don't know what you might be implying. Um, <laughs> but we could list examples forever. I think we should list uh, talk about the examples that our listeners brought up. Yeah, let's head over to the no box vax pop section. Ba, 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 ba. Uh, 
<laughs> so uh, Tiffany on the Facebook group is this Tiffany of podcast? Yes, this fame? is this is she. <laughs> uh, who's probably a bit of a random deep cut and. Uh, I've not seen it for years, but when I was younger, the sitcom Eight Simple Rules was shown on Disney Channel in the late evenings. And when the lead character is played, uh, when the lead character played by John Ritter died in real life, they wrote his death into a two-part special episode with the family's immediate reaction to the loss of the father. Uh, it always stuck with me, I guess, because of how the real-life events made it all so genuine from the actors. Even though now I don't really remember the exact plot. Also, there was a Lizzie McGuire episode where Miranda starts having an eating disorder. She fainted after skipping lunch once, but otherwise they actually showed it pretty well in regards to what caused her to develop those thoughts. Uh, anxiety such control issues and not just looks at a magazine and feels a bit bad. <laughs> um, it's interesting just seeing what memories people have of these episodes, because I do think they, they have a tendency to haunt you or not scar you, but just stick, stick. in your mind more yeah. than kids can really pick up on the shifting of tones, I think. Yeah, and I suppose like actually like both the, a Disney, I believe Lizzie McGuire was a Disney Channel show, and like mm. Eight Simple Rules on the Disney Channel. Just like again, we come back to sort of shows aimed at kids. Yeah, and just like the ways that maybe creators have done a decent job, or you know, just fumbled the ball but not just dropped it entirely. Um, Nick on the Facebook group said, "Looking and please like me ha- could have done very special episodes about HIV and mental illness, respectively, but they instead folded these characters into the ongoing plot lines of a show, and they explored those topics with much more nuance than if they were one-off episodes." Um, I have watched these shows. Um, Looking has an a HIV positive character played by Daniel Farenzi, the guy from. Uh, Mean Girls. <laughs> that was a beautiful um, pronunciation there. Like, I think you added like six syllables. <laughs> um, and they do an interesting thing where uh, everyone's okay with it. Everyone says they're okay with it. It's all cool. It's all fine. And then like the one time they have sex, his partner becomes very, very conscious mm. of that. Um, Please Like Me is one of my favourite shows. Um, it's an Australian sitcom. I've mentioned it many times before. Um it's got a gay main character, but in many ways, the show's more about mental health. Um, oh, right. His, the show starts with his mum uh, attempting suicide and then being moved to a, a psychiatric hospital where she um, spends most of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the main character starts dating a guy from another patient there. Oh, right. Um, who is a character I relate to a lot in many ways. Um, but the show also, my favorite, very special episodes esque thing they did. And again, it doesn't feel like that when you're watching it and it's very funny. Um, and they did an episode about abortion, um, Mm -hmm. which I might've mentioned on the show. Uh, but one of the, uh, characters, you never find out how or why, because it's not important. Yeah. Um, just says to the main character, Hey, I really want someone to come with me to the abortion clinic because I don't know. I just feel weird going on my own. Mm. And they go, and I, you see a show actually showing the steps of what that entails, which I'd never seen done before. Oh, right. Um, seeing how lengthy and, like, painful and uh, everything it is. Um, but it never, it never in any way says she made the wrong decision. But there's this one moment in the line that always sticks with me where yeah. um, a few days during, because it's like a you know, a mm. lengthy process. Um, she said, she's like sort of crying and he says, oh, are you regretting it? And she's like, no, 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 no. I just, I really thought my politics would save me from my emotions. 
Mm. And that feeling that sometimes what's right is also hard. And yeah. um, I just, it always sticks with me because I, I, I know that's what stops a lot of people from making certain choices. Yeah. Um, um, Nancy on Facebook group uh, cited uh, the Chef Jeff sexual harassment plotline. Uh, in Master of None, um, in which ob- now obviously reads kind of differently in light of the uh, Aziz and Zari allegations. Um, they also mentioned um, that Black Mirror does this a lot. So it's not really a very special episode so much as a very special show. Um, mm. But particularly the depiction of toxic masculinity slash fanboy entitlement in USS Callister, which I finally watched and thought was fantastic. Yes. Uh, and uh, also mentioned uh, the Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode about racial profiling, which was also mentioned by At Mild Peril over on Twitter, um, pointing out that it took a massive swerve, that it became unexpectedly very serious. But it's also, um, I feel like, one of Brooklyn Nine-Nine's strongest episodes in a lot of ways. Yeah. I've not seen it. <laughs> oh, you you should. Uh Terry uh, is out uh, looking for uh, a, a, either a blanket or a soft toy for one of his little girls mm. and um, gets like uh, approached by a cop who assumes he's up to no good and he gets arrested and taken. As soon as he's revealed to be a police officer, he's let go. Uh, he's released. And the episode involves him like talking to Captain Holt about putting in a complaint about this police officer. And Holt is just like, you shouldn't do that. It could be bad for your career. Uh, things like that. We have a moment of uh, Amy and Jake babysitting the girls, uh, Terry's daughters, asking about why he got arrested and them having to try and t- talk to the issue of children. I think they phoned Gina at one point and it's just like, oh, how do we talk about this? She's like, oh, you know, you just got to tackle like the phenomenon of racial profiling. No biggie. <laughs> but the way it's handled is sort of... Brooklyn Nine-Nine walks this really interesting line between being propaganda about the police force while also being a really well-written sitcom with really good characters. Mm. So it's it's in a strange place, but they did something very poignant, I feel, with the racial profiling episode. They spoke to, obviously, the actors involved and did a lot of research. It sort of comes to a good point because Holt, at the end, just like encourages Terry to put the complaint or he or he puts the complaint in for him. He's just like, I've struggled to get to this point so I could help. Mm. And so, yeah, I felt that was a, a strong episode. Obviously, the recent episode too with uh, Rosa coming out to her parents. Mm. Um, I mean, the of. coming out scene in TV feels always very special momenty. Yes. Um, and uh, I like when shows find new ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to mention the last few quite quickly, um, yep, just as we're at Wells Bearing is uh, said the original Twilight Zone series also did this really well. In my opinion, some episodes were a bit heavy handed, but they still fit in with the slightly spooky surreal vibe of the rest of the show. The monsters are due on Maple Street is a great example, which I briefly researched. I've not seen that one, oh, um, right. but What's it's all one? about a- a- aliens invading, I think via sus- like suspicion and creating oh, right. bigotry and stuff. Cool. Um, uh, Star 16 uh, thought the Golden Girls has always did it quite well they never <laughs> fell out of place or too seriously like a complete other show like you, I know you're a Golden Girls fan well I've only just started watching the first series and there's uh, basically two kinds of Golden Girls episode there is 
we've been dating for a while and I think he's going to ask me to marry him. Uh, and also relative comes over who we've never seen before who has issue. But all of those episodes were always mm-hmm. before the kind of advert break bring up the issue of the episode and then they all sure. try and solve it um but it does do it well and a, a lot of it has to do with um b arthur mm. uh being such a champion for lgbt rights yeah. and um so they do tackle things like that there's an episode where uh blanche has to deal with her brother's um coming out basically oh i think i've um, seen some gifs or screen caps of this yeah, um, so it, it's it's very dated and very of its time, but even watching it now, I find that it's often on the right side of history, Yeah, in, where, which is good. And uh, whereas uh, at Mighty Scrub Lord, <laughs> uh, great name, uh, points out that basically all of Riverdale, when it tries to deal with deep issues, its heart's usually in the right place, but the execution is pretty much always off. The thing about Riverdale is it's such a heightened reality thing Anyway, she's like, no, you are not a serious show. You are no, you are dynasty for the. You are dynasty for teens <laughs> for now. Don't. No, they did, they it's, it's an interesting uh, thing. It's like when they try to do stuff, it feels like such a swerve from their heightened reality. Just like, and here's something real, teens face. <laughs> um, I watched the episode where Kevin, who's one of the gay characters, uh, is kind of being slut shamed by. Um, All right. Uh, Betty. Yeah. That's her name, right? Yeah, yeah. Betty Cooper. <laughs> um, because he's kind of like cruising. All right. Um, which was interesting, um, but it was just By very... interesting, we mean... <laughs> it was just very odd. Like, I don't know. He was cruising in a very... It just felt very dated. Oh, it felt dear. really odd. Um, yeah, like the Riverdale is the weirdest mix of like eighties and now, and it's yeah. just like it does. I feel like Riverdale so often doesn't know what it wants to be. I really need to get back into watching it though because that's a trash fire. I quite enjoy. Um, I'm um, very looking forward to the Sabrina show. Yeah, um, Sabrina getting a reboot. Like the the cast looks like it's going to be amazing. I'll watch anything with Michelle Gomez. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, sorry, this episode has become very long as well yeah. as very special. So we're going to shut up now. Um, but we would love to hear from you if you want to send us a question uh, for our next episode or suggestions of talking points, uh, please do so. Uh, BoxNotIncluded at gmail.com or we are BoxNotIncluded on Twitter, on Tumblr. And as I mentioned in the tea break, uh, we've got the Box Not Included Facebook group. It's private. It's full of lovely people. Come talk to us. Uh, you can also contact us directly. I am at Hamish Steele. And I'm at Jodoxvedros. And um, yeah, you can you can do this bit. Um, and finally, as always, we'd like to thank Graham Waller, Graham Waller, Audio Overlord, and Master of the Soundways for our amazing theme music and helping produce the podcast. But until next time, I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. And don't let anyone box you in. <laughs>